Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company, and I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Visit the website, lifeinnaples.net. We've got a terrific guest for today's show, including Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Terrific website for kids of all ages, including you and I. We'll visit with Mark about current global affairs. We'll visit with Larry Reed. He is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We'll be talking about the Woodrow Wilson and his persecution of the Hutterites. And Jim McTagg, a former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree, two great murder mysteries that Jim wrote. We'll be visiting with Jim as well. It is December the 14th, and on this day in 1900, German physicist Max Planck, Max Planck published his groundbreaking study of the effect of radiation on a black body substance, and the quantum theory of modern physics was born through physical experiments. Planck demonstrated that energy in certain situations can exhibit characteristics of physical matter According to the theories of classical physics, energy is solely a continuous wave-like phenomenon independent of the characteristics of physical matter. Planck's theory held that radiant energy is made up of particle-like components known as quanta. The theory helped to resolve the previously unexplained natural phenomena such as the behavior of heat in solids and the nature of light absorption on physical atomic level. In 1918, Planck was rewarded uh, with the Nobel Prize in Physics for his work on blackbody radiation. Other scientists, including Albert Einstein and Niels Bohr, advanced Planck's theory and made possible the development of quantum mechanics, mathematical application of quantum theory that maintains that energy is both matter and a wave, depending on certain variables. Quantum mechanics thus takes a probabilistic view of nature sharply contrasting with classical mathematics and mechanics in which all precise properties of objects are, in principle, calculable. Today, the combination of quantum mechanics with Einstein's theory of relativity is the basis of modern physics. And I, these are major, major breakthroughs, but not things that I totally understand, which is I just really appreciate what they did in 1900. Well, the uh, Florida Department of Health Saturday reported 170 new cases of COVID-19 in Collier County and two additional deaths. And then yesterday reported 81 new cases and no new deaths. The uh, seven-day moving average is 157 cases on December the 9th. And, of course, the big deal is uh, not the number of cases. Um, You know, I've talked to a lot of people who tested positive and then tested negative shortly afterwards, so it just makes me wonder about these numbers, but irrespective. The real number, of course, is the number of people in the hospital and uh, whether we're overwhelming the hospital system and healthcare system. Well, states will begin receiving the first shipments of COVID-19 vaccines beginning Monday, this according to the government, uh, Saturday following the Food Administration's uh, emergency use authorization of Pfizer's vaccine on Friday massive logistical undertaking involving government agencies, shipping companies such as UPS and FedEx, and the healthcare industry are all expected to participate 
in the mass distribution of the vaccine in coming months. Over 600 distribution sites will begin receiving the medicine starting on Monday. The vaccine is being prioritized at first for healthcare workers and vulnerable nursing home residents. I, for one, will be holding off. I just have a lot of questions. Not that I'm the brightest bulb in the tree, but you know what? Uh, if the chances of my getting COVID-19 or dying from it are, let's say, 95% or 5% or less, 2% at my age, uh, and the chances of having side effects are 10 to 15%. I think I'd just rather uh, count on therapeutics and watch my health and my immune system. But maybe I don't have, get the full picture. I'll certainly want to look into it and, and find out more. Well, a new study that looked at 216 people with COVID-19 found that 80% didn't have adequate levels of vitamin D in their blood. A different study found that COVID-19 patients who had adequate vitamin D uh, levels had 51.5% lower risk of dying from the disease and a significant reduced risk for complications. Medical experts theorize that maintaining adequate vitamin D levels may help lower risk, help lower risk or aid recovery from severe COVID-19 for some people, though more testing, of course, is needed. But how difficult it is to uh, take a vitamin P level, uh, pill or uh, supplement and uh, get out in the sunlight a little bit. That's really what, what we need to do. So easy thing in order to help ward off some of the complications from COVID-19. So I raised the question earlier, how are we doing with hospital beds in the healthcare system, and is it being overwhelmed? As fears persist over overwhelmed medical systems at capacity hospital nationwide, data indicate that ample hospital space remains available for both COVID-19 patients and other med medical needs with one official at the major hospital network stating that the country is managing pretty well with the latest surge of COVID-19. For most of 2020, rising positive test results of COVID-19 have been brought to, uh, with fears of swamped hospitals, overwhelmed medical systems, emergency patients being turned away and COVID-19 patients being tri triaged and suffering and dying in hallways and vestibules. That's kind of the picture that's being painted. In fact, uh, one of Biden's uh, potential appointments uh, said that he thinks the hospital system will be totally overwhelmed within a couple weeks. That was about a month ago. Anyhow, much of the fear crystallized in the early stages of the pandemic when parts of the northern Italian medical system were put under significant strain due to a crush of COVID-19 patients. In response, leaders and medical officers and officials around the world suspended elective surgeries and constructed emergency medical facilities to cope with the anticipated wave of COVID-19 patients. Remember the ship that was outfitted uh, and uh, in New York City for New York City. In many cases, those facilities were eventually shuttered for lack of patience, even after millions of dollars had been invested in their construction. In Chicago, for example, the city spent 120 million dollars on four facilities to treat a total of 38 patients. The latest spike in COVID-19 tests has brought renewed fears of hospital straining under the influx of COVID-19 patients, with some facilities across the country reporting difficulties managing large numbers of patients, either from a dwindling number of scarce beds or not enough medical officials to maintain them, or both. Uh, yet federal government data compiled from state-level reports suggests that hospitals nationwide have considerable space left to deal with both routine and medical issues and uh, COVID-19 patients. Uh, health and Human Services numbers belie forecasts of impending collapse of the medical system 
As of Saturday, the department estimated that hospitals nationwide were about 75% capacity, ICU beds were even lower at 63.5% capacity, patients who have tested positive for COVID-19 occupy just under 15% of all beds nationwide. So, uh, right now, it looks like we're not overwhelming the healthcare system with these numbers. Uh, and again, I just come back to this. So we need to manage the pandemic of fear as much as we need to man maintain and manage the uh, COVID-19. Uh, some areas, I've, I'll mention New York has 76% of its hospital beds and 61% of its ICU beds were taken. In California, about the same numbers. So where these numbers are going up in terms of number of positive cases, uh, healthcare system not being overwhelmed. Well, did you hear about the march on Saturday? It was pretty cool. Uh, President Donald Trump flew over the Jericho March aboard uh, Marine One in Washington, D.C. on Saturday. Trump supporters gathered in the nation's capital and locations, including Washington, D.C., the Supreme Court, the Department of Justice, over the weekend to rally in support of the president. A series of these Jericho marches are taking place around the country at contested state capitals on Saturday with the main event being held in Washington, D.C. Very cool. The president's having a lot of support. And by the way, his uh, latest uh, Rasmussen report numbers show that he has 49% popularity among voters, among uh, people who could vote. Well, Ben Turner, the founder of Fraud Spotters, a company that specializes in producing fraud detection software for insurance companies, said he recommended an audit of the Dominion voting machines after his review of the data. Uh, Turner wrote that he was shocked by Sidney Powell's claims that Dominion voting systems switched votes from Trump to Biden. Uh, Turner said his goal was to disprove Powell's claim but his analysis revealed troubling concern. In his analysis, uh, Turner writes, Statist uh, statistical analysis of past presidential races supports the view that in 2020, in counties where Dominion uh, machines were deployed, the voting outcomes were, on average, about nationwide 1.5% higher for Joe Biden and 1.5% lower for Donald Trump after adjusting for other demographic and past voting preference. For Dominion to have switched the election from Trump to Biden would have to increase Biden's outcomes with corresponding reduction to Trump's by 0.03% in Georgia, 0.6% in Arizona, 2.1% in Wisconsin, and 2.5% in Nevada. The apparent average of 1.5% Dominion effect is greater than the margin in Arizona and Georgia and close to the margin for Wisconsin and Nevada. It's not hard to picture a scenario where the actual effect in Wisconsin and Nevada was greater than the national average and would have changed the current reported outcome in these two states. Assuming the Dominion effect is real, it's possible that an audit of these machines would overrun the election and overturn the election. These results are scientifically valid and have p-value of less than 1%, meaning the chances of this math occurring randomly are less than 1 in 100. Turner concludes that his review by calling for an audit. He writes, the best way to restore faith in the system is to audit the Dominion voting machines in Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, and Wisconsin. Couldn't agree more. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit uh, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples magazine. 
Coming up, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show and the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed. He's the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now, we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website, great for kids of all ages, including you and I. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. So as our custom, we're going to be talking about current global affairs, and I understand there's uh, some news in Nigeria. Right, so Nigeria hasn't made a lot of news, but a group of terrorists attacked a high school, and it looks like they kidnapped between four and 500 students. Uh, they got back some of them, and the army's trying to find them. It's not even clear who it was, but they literally I, they literally kidnapped 500 students out of a high school. Wow. Uh, maybe trying to put them to work in, a, in an army, a children's army. I don't even know anymore. Huh. So what are the uh, politics in Nigeria? I've, I've kind of lost track with what's happening there. I, I, I haven't kept too much, uh, too much involved. There's, there's been a bit, there's, there's an Al-Qaeda fight in Nigeria, and Nigeria's 
mostly Christian, but there's, there's a Christian Muslim issue there. Um, it's a very wealthy country from oil, um, but then it's, you know, of course, it's, um, a small group of people have most of the wealth, like often happens. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's unclear, you know, who's behind this. No one has taken responsibility. And, um, but it just shows, you know, we go on and really crazy things are happening in parts of the world. Sometimes. Well, they are. Did you hear about, uh, I'm not sure if it's on our list or not, but the, uh, some great number of uh, Chinese who are located all over the world has been uncovered. I, I think I have the story right here, but it's, it's, it's a huge number of Chinese. This has been hacked. It's been a major leak. To, oh, nearly 2 million uh, CCP members with uh, a major leak concerning uh, these people, exposing members who are now working all over the world. Uh, also lifting the lid on how many party oper uh, operates under Xi Jinping. Have you heard about this story? No, I have not, and um, I'm not surprised, although we don't really know. Um, again, I hate to talk about the party. Cause, I mean, China is not a communist country. China is a uh, klepto-capitalist country run by a dictatorship. Right. Uh, that's the reality. Right. So, uh, but we, nevertheless, I mean, the story, it's not about, I mean, they call themselves the Communist Chinese Party. So, but I, I recognize and understand what you're saying, but apparently this is a huge leak and in perhaps retaliation. We're not sure if the two stories are linked. A sophisticated hacking group backed by a foreign well, government. From Russia. Yeah, stole from the U.S. Treasury Department and U.S. agency. Yeah, that's, that's a Russian, that's 100% at this point a, a Russian hack. Oh. It's not only the Treasury, they've gotten into most of the American government mail servers including some secure ones, it looks like. Um, it's the biggest hack the Russians have done since 2015. And um, they've hacked everywhere. Listen, Russia is not our friend. No. And we need to understand that. So, um, uh, I mean, it, it, this is interesting. This is cyber warfare, and uh, the, showing its ugly head right now in Russia. I I'm not sure who, but uh, and uh, it's good to know that it's not China. No, it's not China, it's the Russian government, it's yeah. officials. And it's not a bunch of Russian hackers either. I mean, keep in mind the fact that, you know, in any given day, lots and lots of companies are paying money for people who, you know, people who are sending things that, sh that shut down their servers and steal their information, and that's going on all the time. Um, yeah. But, um, matter of fact, I'm here in Israel, and it happened uh, last week to a, to a medium-sized insurance company, and they refused to pay, actually. And the um, hackers started releasing personal information about some of their customers, but they still refuse to pay. And it seems like maybe that's the way to go. Wow! You know, we need we need to look upon cyber kidnappers like regular kidnappers. If yeah. you pay them, they'll keep on doing it. Yeah. Apparently, this, um, this exposed this uh, uh, oh, nearly two million members of the Chinese Communist Party. It released their a lot of information about them, their personal information, uh, including their names, party position birthday, national ID numbers, and ethnicity. That's, that's pretty amazing stuff. And apparently a lot of these people are located in perhaps Israel, certainly in the United States, UK, all over the world. Could be. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know enough about the story, so I don't want to comment on something I don't know anything uh, about. Fair so enough. There's but, no question the Chinese have an active um, worldwide security services. That there's no question about. Yeah, right. Uh, whether it includes two million people, that's, you know, that's an interesting question. It, it certainly is. To, it's well, pretty I, hard to keep a secret amongst two million people. Yeah. So, uh, but it it 
if if true, if this is a real information, then it certainly could lead us to understanding who's actually active in the United States, uh, and because we're finding more and more of the involvement with uh, the, the Chinese here in the United States and our government and our culture and just a number of ways. Yeah, but I wouldn't, you know, listen, I, I think we need to be just a little bit slow when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Look, there's no question that over the years the Chinese have engaged in large-scale industrial espionage more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's a known fact. It's a known fact if you do business in China, your your designs are going to be copied and everything else like that, and companies decide to do it anyway because they want access to the marketplace. Right. Um, you know, but I, I wouldn't go to the point, you know, let's not get to the point where we think every... Chinese person we meet is a is a communist spy. But you know, we're going to start getting to that paranoid state that's not healthy for anybody. Well, in fact, this this uh, list would perhaps clarify that. I mean, uh, these these are members of the Communist Party that uh, by their with their names and everything, we could check them out. <laughs> we we don't need. Well, to let's see. Like I said, I've, I have not heard anything officially from the U.S. government in any which way or yeah. any other um, you know official source. I'm not sure where your source was, but okay. Well, let's let's leave this in abeyance then. But you did mention something uh, when we got on when we talked before our sh- got on air that uh, Gmail is down around the world. Yes, Gmail is down all over the Gmail and YouTube. All of Google services seem to be down all over the world. Started about ten months ago, and I tried to re- respond to your emails. That was about thirty minutes ago, and it's still down. Mm. And then reports all over the net are you know I, th- I thought it might be local, but it's all over the world at this point. Which you know, on one hand, we're also dependent on it, yeah. which makes which shows some of the problems of the modern world where we're all dependent on one service. It doesn't make a difference what country, where you're living, what business you're in. Uh, so many people use Gmail that even if your mail is open, you're still not getting mail from all the people who's trying to send you mail. This is weird. So but not only Gmail, but Google Suites and all the people who have documents there and all that they're not accessible. The YouTube is not accessible. All their services are down worldwide. So, That's, you know, whether it's a an error or or an attack, no one knows. Well, at least we don't know, but maybe Google might know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's quite an error if it's an error, let's put it that way, to bring down everything. Everything. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. so uh, I want to touch on uh, what's happening with COVID-19 around the world and the release of uh, the uh, vaccines actually happening on today, if I'm not mistaken. They were approved on, by the FDA on Friday. What are your thoughts? Well, two parts. I mean, first of all, um, it's a tremendous um, it's a tremendous uh, view that science has come to our rescue. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to believe, you know, it's science that has solved the problem at this point. Um, we'll be solving it. Um, it's, you know, it's an incredibly fast job that was done both by uh, Pfizer together with a um, the German company, the German company of the Turkish immigrants, and Moderna, which will be approved, no doubt, this week. And between them, they used a completely uh, new technology in order to develop the vaccine. They've used the technology to do other things previously, but this is the first, you know, large-scale use. Uh, I think I mentioned it before, Moderna did this in three days. Everything since then has been testing. Yeah. And... Um, now it's up to the people of the world to take the vaccine. And first of all, they have to produce enough to get it around. Mm-hmm. But if the people of the world take the vaccine mm-hmm. and don't let other people take the vaccine for them, but they step forward like people should in any given war, volunteer, be the ones to take the vaccine, we can end this once and for all. We can save hundreds of thousands of lives. 
and we can all go back to normal living um, in six months if everyone takes the vaccine. So there's other producers. So I think it's the... a tremendous accomplishment of science. That's what it amounts to. Yeah, there, there's other producers of this vaccine, however, and uh, there's, for example, Johnson and Johnson is coming out with a vaccine. Right, but theirs has not, you know, has not been proven proven yet, and neither the AstraZeneca one has was problems with the testing. Uh, there's a Russian vaccine which no one quite trusts, although it seems to have a high degree of of um, uh, of um, ability to work. So the question is, you know, we have two already, and they're turning them out as fast as they possibly can. It won't be quite enough, but I'm sure others will come online over the next next few months. But you know, first and foremost, people have to start taking it. I know here in Israel, the first ones arrived. Um, on Thursday, they expect to start vaccinating healthcare workers in the next day or two, and starting next week, they're going to open it up to the whole general population. They've, Israel has managed to acquire between Moderna and and um, and Pfizer um, almost enough vaccinations for the complete adult population of the country. Oh, that's great. I, I, to me, so, as a consumer, though, wouldn't you want to make a choice about who's the best provider for this vaccine and use that one? Well, we have two of them. They both have a they both have an both have a um, effective rate of ninety five percent. It's pretty much identical. Mm-hmm. One needs to be stored in a colder temperature than the other. That's the only real difference between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Some a couple they, of them, if I'm not mistaken, require two doses. Others require one. They both 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 Moderna and Pfizer require two doses. Johnson and Johnson one theoretically only requires one, but we have it hasn't been proven yet. So I so, guess my question is: Is it worth waiting for? No, why should you wait? If this one has, if this is ninety five percent effectiveness, why would you wait? You're not going to. No, nothing has ever gotten one hundred percent effectiveness when it comes to a vaccine. Yeah. So if you have ninety five percent effectiveness, um, no serious side effects amongst the tens of thousands of of people who have taken it. Two people who took it died of a heart attack. Four people who got the placebo died of heart attacks in the in in the period. So mm. that's just natural death. That's when you have you know large quantities of people, including people in risk groups. Some of them are going to die just because. You're right. Well, Mike, uh, listen, so we, you need, have, we need to take a little mm-hmm. bit commercial break right now. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, 
Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTagg. Right now, we have with us Mark Schulman. We continue the conversation, Mark. Again, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So uh, we talked a little bit about COVID. Uh, we need to talk about what's happening in Israel and around, around the rest of the world. What's going on? Okay, so in Europe, they've managed, um, after rather severe shutdowns in various places, to bend the curve, except for Germany, which was not succeeding in bending the curve back down, and now has gone to a total shutdown because our hospitals were, were reaching full. The other place that's been in real big trouble has been Sweden. Sweden, the ICUs are completely full, and the death rate there is up to, I've got the number, I think it's uh, 9,000 or some number like that. In other words, death rate is very, very high in Sweden. Um, so their, their idea did not work. The Swedish experiment turned out to be a failure, and they'll be the first ones to admit at this point. Mm. In Asia, South Korea is starting to have cases once again, and they're concerned about that. The rest of Asia has remained uh, pretty much COVID-free. Taiwan, uh, Australia, of course, New Zealand, Vietnam, they've all remained COVID-free. Uh, so is Southeast Asia for reasons that no one quite knows. Um, and it's you know quite rampant in South America at this point as well. Um, you know, everyone's the question is how many vaccines are going to go where to what parts of the world, and of course. One of the things that we have to be careful about is we have to find a way of uh, making sure that the poor countries in the world, they're able to get the vaccines as well. Because one thing we do not need is we need to eradicate this disease. We don't need to have a situation where 50% of Americans are vaccinated and then someone travels and comes back with the with it, brings it back and starts uh, giving it to, to, to new people again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's one of the key questions. The key questions will also be things like travel. I mean, I personally think that no one should be allowed on an airplane, and not right now, obviously, but once the vaccine is once the vaccine is out there, that in order to get on an airplane, you have to have had a vaccine. Uh, most of the large international carriers are doing that, are planning to do that. Qantas from Australia, I think Lufthansa, a bunch of them are planning to say international travel will only be allowed with people who have been vaccinated. So if you're vaccinated, um, how, how long does the vaccination keep you immune from? Well, we know spread? it's a year. We don't know for sure how much longer the the expectations is it will be for, for, for a longer period of time. There's no way of knowing for sure. Mm-hmm. But the key here is that the if if the very high if a decent percentage, a high percentage of the population all get vaccinated, the virus dies mm-hmm. because the virus has no one to infect, and at that point, it literally dies. And so that's really here the key. In other words, it's not. I mean, yes, the va- the vaccine protects you personally from from either getting it or getting sick with it because. One of the things that happened, certainly with the Moderna study, is that nobody got severely, no, none of the, no one got severely sick from uh, COVID-19 who took the, um, the vaccine. So yes, it protects you personally, but the more, but the more important societal issue is the higher percentage of people who take the vaccine, mm-hmm. the less people the the virus has a chance to infect, and once it can't affect any, infect anyone, it dies. It can't go to any place. And that's really the goal. The goal is to wipe out. That's how you wipe out a pandemic like this: is you eliminate the host, so, potential host. Uh, so this is a we can call it a second or third wave. I'm not sure exactly sure what to call it. But uh, how many waves could there be? Well, you know, it's hard to call these different waves. But yes, I mean, I would think that if people get vaccinated, this is it. 
Now, this is going to be a very terrible uh, six to eight weeks in the United States. We're talking about uh, 2,500 people dying a day um, from COVID-19 or with COVID-19, however you want to define it. But people who would not necessarily have died normally will be dying over the next six weeks, eight weeks. But assuming that we first of all manage to uh, vaccinate all the all the people living in nursing homes, we'll immediately eliminate one you know, big source of the mortality from, from mm-hmm. disease. Mm-hmm. We vaccinate all of the healthcare workers, we'll eliminate their ability to transmit the disease. And um, then as we as we inoculate more and more of the population, obviously less people can get, get it and less people can transmit it. Before long, it'll be gone and this will be it. So this will be the third and last, hopefully the third and last wave. But it's up to the American people to decide to take take the vaccine. So um, that's just un- how how accountable how accountable how how should we handle the accountability of China for what happened? I don't know. I don't have a good answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to investigate. We need to see what was involved, etc. Um, but I don't know. I don't. I don't really know. Have have have, have the answer. I don't know what's possible. Um, and again, there is no history um, in in the world of going to. Um, you know, one country where a disease started and then trying to get reparations or anything else like that. We didn't do it for the Spanish flu, which probably didn't start in Spain. It started in Kansas. Mm-hmm. That's a different story. Um, but um, the reality is uh, we have to look at it carefully and, and see. But listen, we let's not, you know, we're making a, we make a mistake by turning China into the boogeyman for everything. Don't get me wrong. I think the Chinese government is very problematic. I think their economic, their Mercantilism is particularly problematic, mm-hmm. but let's not turn them into enemies. So we end up in, in World War Three with China. We don't really, we don't want that either. Well, um, such a, it is an interesting world right now. A very difficult world. I, our conversations each week, and we've been doing these interviews now for, I think you said like fourteen years or so. But uh, fourteen years. Yep. What a, what a development of ideas. Who would have anticipated the uh, the uh, what we're talking about today, five years ago, even was just unbelievable. No, absolutely. I mean, look on multiple levels. Who would have thought? You know, listen, 2020 will go down as a year that we'll all remember. You know, people will talk about it. My children will talk about their grandchildren about you know the terrible pandemic of 2020, a year that you know no one traveled, no one, all the things that we didn't do this year, a lost year in many many ways. Yeah. Um, and you know, who would have who would have imagined that that this would happen? Except some. Some crazy people writing science fiction imagined it. You know, unfortunately, their imagination was turned into reality. Yeah. Um, and you know, listen, on, on so many levels, the world has become so interesting. Which, by the way, interesting is a Chinese curse. So yes, it is. Live in interesting times is a Chinese curse. All right, Mark Schulman again. Uh, the boredom f- is nice sometimes. Yeah, Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. I hope you check out the website. It's a really a multimedia website. Just brings history alive. HistoryCentral.com is the website. Mark, genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for have joining us. Have a great us. week, Bob. You as well. Thank you. And Mark has been coming on the show. We certainly have uh, see the world through a different prism, don't we? Uh, uh, Mark is more of a globalist, and I certainly am uh, make America great again kind of a guy, a, a populist. But uh, I, I hope you appreciate, as I do, uh, having both views. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Larry Reed, the founder of the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. (laughs) 
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I want to do a little shout out to Lula B's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. They do a great job. And right now the uh, shopping center is under remodeling. So uh, they could certainly help use your business. So drop by Lula B's Diner. Great breakfast and lunch at the uh, Green Tree Shopping Center. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Right now, as I mentioned before the break, we have Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus for the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Larry. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. We're an educational foundation, and we focus on high school and college-age students. We have a very robust website with uh, new content every day, uh, video as well as pr uh, print. And also, uh, we do programs for high school and college students all over the country, sometimes overseas, all designed to educate and inspire them in ideas of private property, free enterprise, and personal character. Terrific organization. Fee.org is the website. If you have either grandchildren or children in college or high school age, introduce them. You'll be very happy you did. What a positive impact they have on, uh, on young people. Again, fee.org, F-E-E.org. So, Larry, you wrote a great, inspiring, troubling piece, actually, but inspiring in some ways, of how Woodrow Wilson persecuted the Hutterites. Maybe you could tell us about it. 
Yes, uh, the Hutterites, unfortunately, they're largely forgotten today, but they are, they are still around. The Hutterites uh, were people of um, an Anabaptist background who came from Europe, where they had been persecuted uh, 200 years plus ago, and they settled in the Dakotas, primarily, a little bit in Montana, where they thought they could uh, establish uh, self-sustaining farm communities and live in peace. Uh, they've been persecuted in Europe uh, largely because of their pacifism. Mm. Uh, governments uh, wanted to draft their young men or force uh, the Hutterites to uh, help finance various wars. And as an article of their religious faith, they believed in a very strict form of pacifism. They would not take up arms. And uh, they were left alone uh, in uh, the Dakotas mm -hmm. until the outbreak of World War I. That's when all of a sudden, uh, with uh, Woodrow Wilson uh, signing into law a uh, draft bill, uh, the, uh, the federal uh, agents came after the Hutterites to draft them and, and to force uh, Hutterite families to buy liberty bonds, that kind of thing. Some of that was uh, local pressure, too. Well, the end result was some very brutal treatment hmm. of the Hutterites in uh, Army induction facilities. Troubling indeed. I mean, the story of uh, how they were treated, mistreated, uh, you know, and, and just hurt in a number of ways. I mean, the, 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 the treatment of these people was just absolutely horrific. And what's interesting, too, is uh, Woodrow Wilson made a comment about the individual freedom and liberty. You, you cite that, that at the beginning of, of, his, of the column, but that's certainly not the way he led the country. No, that's right. That, uh, that quote is really a terrific one until you realize, I don't think he actually meant it. Right. He certainly didn't govern by it. But it read, uh, liberty has never come from the government. Liberty has always come from the subjects of the government. The history of liberty is a history of resistance. The history of liberty is a history of the limitation of governmental power, not the increase of it. Well, that's a great observation. He made that uh, while campaigning for president in 1912. But when he became president over two terms, he proved to be the most repressive anti-liberty president to ever occupy the White House. He uh, imposed all kinds of controls on the economy. He uh, squashed civil liberties. He uh, imposed a monstrous propaganda machine on the country to intimidate Americans into supporting the war. Uh, he, he signed prohibition into law. He resegregated the federal government. I mean, uh, he was really a nasty guy. He was a racist in the worst way. Yes. And uh, he was completely controlling in terms of our liberties. He was just maybe the worst president. You know, there's a little competition for this statement, but he may be <laughs> the worst president we've ever had. Yeah, personally, I regard him as such. Uh, I think he was the worst. A lot of people say, well, what about FDR? Or what about, you know, other later presidents? But in so many cases, uh, if those later presidents did some bad things, it was in part because of the precedent that Woodrow Wilson set, because in, uh, he, he did them first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, back to the Hutterites. Uh, let's talk about what happened to them. And I, I guess some of the stories are just heartbreaking when you. Think about how human beings treat other human beings because they refuse to give up their beliefs. Uh, what, they, what they did, they refused to cave in. They refused to uh, give up their beliefs in pacifism. And they were just treated so horribly and uh, abused in such a bad way. 
they ended up uh, leaving the country. Yeah, that's right. You know, when World War II came around, uh, there were allowances made for conscientious objectors mm-hmm. uh, who could pursue alternative service, but that was not the case in World War One under Woodrow Wilson. He he wanted to compel uh, every young man uh, automatically straight into the military, and that violated uh, the Hutterites' uh, strong religious belief in not taking up arms. So they were in induction facilities and in prisons. Uh, they were uh, brutally treated, uh, bayoneted, and and uh, left out in the cold in the in the with no clothes on and. And and even worse, much worse, there were four Hutterite men who were taken to the induction center, the Army Induction Center in Fort Lewis, Washington State, uh, where uh, a terrible odyssey began that that led ultimately to their deaths. Uh, At least two of them Mm. died in prison and um, because of the brutal treatment that they suffered. And Woodrow Wilson never did anything about it. He later was uh, approached about it, and he he said it was awful. uh, But the fact is that he knew these things were going on, didn't uh, do anything about them, and uh, that's the that's the real sad part of it. It certainly is. I mean, why not say, well, look, uh, you know, we need people who can uh, do this or that or the other thing, uh, so maybe you could just help us out in that way and, uh, you know, accommodate their religious beliefs, which, of course, <laughs> their First Amendment rights, for crying out loud. Yeah, but he wanted to teach uh, the Hutterites a lesson. He wanted to make sure that uh, the pacifism didn't spread elsewhere. He wanted everybody singing out of the same hymn book, uh, which was, you know, war against Germany. And, and that itself was a very dubious proposition. There are a lot of Americans then and now who think that our entry into the First World War was not a wise move to make. And yeah. it, it, among other things, it ended up uh, producing a very harsh peace treaty that produced the Second War, uh, World War Two. Yeah, and how about that? The peace in uh, in in Paris. It's just it's the whole the whole thing. His he um, he did not make many good decisions. <laughs> Woodrow Wilson. No, it's a, no, he didn't. He was uh, and he came from academia. Yeah. He was he was governor of New Jersey after that too. But for most of his uh, career, he was at Princeton, uh, president of Princeton, and a professor there. Right. So his actual experience on the ground with real life. <laughs> in some sense, was rather limited because right. uh, he came from the ivory tower. Absolutely. Larry Reed, again, the uh, president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. I hope you check out the website and check out Larry's column, How Woodrow Wilson Persecuted the Hutterites. Larry, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to be visiting with, uh, uh, we're going to be visiting with uh, Jim McTagg. He is the author of several books. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I could only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. The website is golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Jim McTagg. As I mentioned before the break, he's former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Uh, he's now retired. Now he's uh, writing books, and they're great. Uh, his first murder mystery is Follow the Leader, and its sequel is Shake the Money Tree, two great reads, and I especially appreciate them because I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, and that's, where the, that's the location of these murder mysteries. Jim, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Hey, it's a pleasure, Bob. Great to have you with us, Jim. So, hey, are you following at all these hacks? What happened here this weekend with, uh, the, first of all, the United States uh, agencies such as the, uh, I guess it's the uh, IRS and the um, State Department, if I'm not mistaken. And then also, there's, uh, did you hear about the Chinese hacks as well? The uh, hacks that pr- reveals the oh, nearly 2 million people who are Chinese Communist Party members across the country, or around the world, I should say. I didn't hear about the Chinese hacks, but I was thinking today, uh, I've been worried about COVID-19 virus mm-hmm. since last spring, and there's a, the, there's a Russian computer virus that we all should have been uh, wary of. Uh, they infiltrated... Uh, computer systems for the federal government and something like 300,000 major corporations. Uh, They did this last um, March or April. Uh, It completely eluded our computer experts until uh, this week. And one of the computer experts, by the way, was Chris Krebs, who Trump fired because Krebs said the election was the most secure in U.S. history. So, so. Expert Krebs, uh, while he's uh, 
certifying that the election was fair, had no idea that this hack was going on. But it's, um, uh, I'm relying, I think the best story I've seen on this hack today, which I think is probably, um, it's probably the, the, the largest security breach in U.S. history. Mm. Uh, it's a huge story. Uh, it has uh, tremendous national defense implications. But uh, there's a publication called thehackernews.com, hmm. and uh, it has a story today uh, by Ravi Lakshamanan. And I've never read it before, but it seems... It seems uh, very credible. It has the most extensive coverage I've seen. And it says that uh, government organizations, the Pentagon, the State Department, NASA, the National Security Agency, the U.S. Postal Service, uh, the Department of Justice, and even the Office of the President of the United States were affected by this hack. Uh, So far, the evidence is that the the Russians who, who executed this hack have only they've used it to steal information and to move information from uh, uh, secure servers to their own servers. Uh, But they have the capability through this hack of actually disrupting uh, agencies. uh, You know, I'm thinking, I hope my social security check continues to arrive because uh, apparently the Russians could block it uh, if they wanted to. Uh, They hacked the treasury. Uh, they, uh, you know, you know, the Russians uh, have been, have the treasury has used the U S monetary system as a weapon against the Russians for many years. This probably gives the Russians a means to circumvent a um, a lot of the uh, steps the treasury has taken to punish uh, Russians for, uh, you know, violating uh, international uh, rules regarding money laundering. So, no, Jim, yeah, what's uh, interesting to me is, uh, you know, it seems to me all these, uh, the uh, Russians typically are just up to mischief. They're trying to be disruptors. They're trying to agitate and, and as opposed, they don't seem to be a- after anything. What do you think they're after? I mean, most people would say that Russia is pretty much just a big gas station. They don't have many assets. They don't have many things going on in their economy. It's a, you know, by all, by all measures, it's not a world power economically. So what do you think is, how do, what do you make of this? I think uh, what it does, what it did is give the Russians the ability, in, say, in the event of a war with the United States, to take out our uh, uh, government uh, internet communication systems uh, in seconds. So that's number one. So it would, you know, it'd be like, uh, blind, you know, blinding us in one of our eyes. Uh, number two, as I, as I said, it, it gives them a, a window uh, on every step the U.S. is taking uh, to counter Russian moves around the world, so the Russians uh, mm. uh, know what we're know exactly what we're up to. Mm. Uh, and uh, number three, I mean, the Russians can steal from us. Uh, from what I gather, uh, they would be able to rob some corporations or rob some banks. They could steal um, corporate secrets. Mm. Uh, they're inside the National Security Agency. Uh, they could figure out how NASA is uh, attacking their computers. So it's, it's, uh, and then they could sell this information uh, to our other friends around the world, like the Chinese and the North Koreans and the Iranians. Yeah. So and and put us at a huge disadvantage uh, with our enemies. 
So this is this hack again uh, is is probably the largest uh, espionage failure uh, in U.S. history. Yeah, you know, uh, it just brings to light Larry Bell, who Professor Bell, who's a frequent guest on my show. I wrote a book on cyber warfare, and it is really raising its ugly head right now as you're talking about it. It just shows how we're so vulnerable. And what he said in the book, by the way, says that the State Department and other agencies in the United States have a weaker system of protection than other, even uh, ordinary email in the United States, which, by the way, uh, I, from my previous guest, said that Gmail is down and all services from, uh, from uh, uh, Google. Uh, is your, and you're a Gmail customer, aren't you? Yeah, I haven't checked it yet. Uh, I hate going through Gmail. <laughs> I put it off, so if it's down, I'm happy. Uh, okay. Well, so, well, my point is only this, that apparently uh, cyber warfare is raising its ugly head right now in many, many ways. And uh, Sidney Powell is adamant that the uh, our elections have been hacked by the Chinese, by several countries around the world, and uh, these Dominion machines... I mean, there's evidence, clear evidence, that uh, the, that uh, they had been tampered with in such a way that it led to the election going to Biden as opposed to the guy who got the most votes, which is President Donald Trump. Yeah, now, I don't know Sidney Powell, but what I read about her, I think she's a nut. But having said that, uh, this hack gives, uh, gives ammunition to the uh, conspiracy theorists concerning uh, the election. Now, does it help Trump or hurt him? Because, I mean, he w he's, he's the guy in charge of uh, cybersecurity right now. You know, if the buck stops here, right? he, he could can, he can point to Chris Krebs and say, gee, the guy I hired didn't know what, what he was talking about. That's why I fired him. Trump is a master of uh, turning turning his own adversity into a uh, offensive weapon. So I expect to see that. Um, the um, I expect that this story will grow in intensity as the public begins to oh, digest I what happened. And it, it's just pretty spectacular. There's a, uh, there's a product called FireEye, which all the U.S. government agencies use to monitor their secure, computer security. And FireEye, in turn, um, has has a product to uh, that people use to manage its a uh, uh, its performance. You know, is FireEye uh, really identifying the proper threats? And um, the Russians, it's called Solar Winds, and the Russians counterfeited a version of solar winds it looks like the original and people were installing the russian solar winds oh my to, to monitor their fire eye and 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 that's how the russians got into every major computer system uh in the uh, u.s government and the u.s economy wow. so it's uh so we're going to watch this story. I really appreciate Jim bringing this story to our attention, and it, uh, we'll look forward to then seeing how it develops. By the way, just a little word about Sidney Powell. She wrote a book called, I think it's called Prosecution Machine, and I read it just a couple of months ago. She is really articulate and uh, a very smart lawyer, so uh, you'll see her name. She is no nut. I can promise you that, Jim. She may not win a case or two, but I'll tell you what, she is an excellent, outstanding attorney. So I just wanted to... Bring that to the conclusion in our conversation. Again, the name of uh, Jim's books, Follow the Leader, uh, Follow and its sequel, Shake the Money to Drake, Two Great Murder Mysteries. Jim, always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. 
It's fun with joining with such a talented broadcaster. Thank uh, you, Bob. Thank you so much, Jim. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to visit with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. Boo Mortensen will be with us. And Seton Modley, the founder and president of Less Government. And Linda, my wife, will be joining us as well. Uh, if you uh, always appreciate your comments on the show, you can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>